right. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we should be there for the majority of the message today. And what Pastor Lejeune just came up here and uh, said was uh, very true. I was telling my wife this. We were out soul winning. I, we had three or four uh, long conversations uh, with people yesterday, about you know, 10 to 15 minutes long. And like one or two of those were uh, shorter, maybe like five minutes long. And people are definitely in this um, climate of our country seem to be really, really receptive to the gospel. Um, I've noticed that. And so it's been uh, really, really encouraging to go out. Um, I, I, I personally am uh, a little timid going to people's doors. I know it sounds uh, odd, but we all are at times. And we have to develop that uh, strength through Christ that we can do all things. And we can go and preach the gospel to people. And they really are receptive. A lot of times we think majority of people are going to you know, push us away. But and really it's the opposite. Uh, most people say or if they're not receptive, they're polite. You know, um, it's very rare someone cusses you out or threatens you. You know, we hear a lot of those soul winning stories, and we think that happens all the time. And it's really the opposite. So hopefully you guys are encouraged to go out in your day-to-day uh, life and be a witness for Christ. So we're over here in Second Samuel chapter 9. And I'm going to read the first nine verses there. The Bible says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left on the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. The king David said, said, fed, um, <clears throat> sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir and son Amuel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? I'll stop there and I'll pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach. I pray you'd give me the words to say, and they're not my own, but they are Holy Spirit-given and Holy Spirit-driven. I pray I can just speak your word and prevent me from saying anything that would hinder you. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ um, and the sacrifice he made on the cross. pray for someone who is listening to the sound of my voice, if they do not know the security in Christ, have not, uh, do not know 100% they're on their way to heaven, I pray to get that settled tonight, wherever they are listening to this. And I pray that you would do a great work tonight. In your name I pray, amen. So this preparing this sermon, I was getting hungry. The sermon is called Come and Dine, very plainly, plainly Come and Dine. And who doesn't love dinner, right? I think we can all agree that dinner is definitely one of the best parts of the day. Or really, if you're a true Baptist, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, uh, All those meals are great. Maybe some snacks in between. First, uh, maybe first lunch, second lunch, third dinner. You know, Who knows? But uh, we just love to come and dine. And uh, who remembers, now it's for maybe the older people, you can self-identify, what uh, the family dinner used to be like. You know, how it, even I can. Um, even though I'm 23 years old, you know, I'm not that old at all. Uh, most people would say, but I can remember as a kid uh, how family dinner was and how I've grown and how it just has changed a little bit. Nothing 
terrible, just how society has changed. And I'll watch, you know, short clips of maybe the Dick Van Dyke show or Andy Griffith and how the dinner table was really a place where people would come, uh, where families would come, and they would just, they would talk and they would gather. But now our lives are so busy, it's usually grab and go type of a deal. Or it's our phones are out halfway through or however it works. Family dinner is so interrupted today, and there's a lot of good things that interrupt it. You know, children play sports or they're uh, in the choir or maybe even um, church activities don't get in the way, but it pushes dinner earlier and you have to eat a little faster and good things get in the way. But dinner, uh, family dinner time has definitely evolved and has definitely changed and uh, definitely for the, the worst there. But it used to be, again, a time where people could come, our families could come, and they could talk about how their day was. You know, hey, Johnny, how was it at school? Or, you know, whatever the case may be. And if someone had a problem, it was easy to talk about it. Um, and if you were to get in your mind, so you have that set up, um, get a person of wealth in mind. I was kind of shifting the gear there. But try and get a person of wealth in mind. It could be a politician, a millionaire, billionaire, uh, athlete or celebrity, whoever. You know, get that person in mind. And now imagine that that person has just invited you to their house. And not only have they invited us to their house, but their pool is ours, their dinner table is ours, their money is ours, their car is ours. I mean, this is, this is a pretty good deal, right? This is sounding pretty good. And everything that they own is now ours because they have invited us and they've said, pretty much written a blank check and said, you know, all my wealth and everything I have, you can have the same. This could be yours. And all they had to do, they just invited us. And the first point I have here today is the story, the story that we had just read. What is happening here is, so David is the king, and I like to call this a sweet spot in David's life. It was after Goliath, David and Goliath, that story, but it was before Bathsheba and his adultery and sin. So really, it was a great apex. You know, we have eight different valleys and hills in our Christian life. It really was a really good apex in his life. It was a sweet spot. You know, in baseball, they talk about hitting the sweet spot so you could hit a home run perfectly on the bat. And that's a section on the bat where he hits it so perfectly, the ball just soars. There's a sweet spot on that. And this was a sweet spot in David's life. And he is going through this, and he, I believe, the Bible doesn't record it, but, you know, when things are going good for you as a Christian, as a believer in God and Christ, you hopefully you want to do good things for other people. You know, God has blessed you. A pastor is going over the um, stewardship series on Sunday mornings. And God has blessed us with everything that we have, whether you money, our spouse, whatever. God has blessed us with uh, you know, children, whatever you could think of, a car. God has blessed us with that. And he has given that to us to be stewards of. And David here had everything. He was the king. His word was what people listened to. And so he was the apex in his life. And he remembers Jonathan, his closest, most dearest friend who has passed away, and he, he wants to show someone, uh, some, someone grace in Jonathan's family. And so you see in verse 1 said, And David said, Is there yet any that is left on the house of Saul that it may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And then they go through this, this whole rigmarole here. And verse 3 says, And the king said, Is there not any of the house of Saul? Because they go to Ziba first, uh, back in there in verse 2, and he's just a servant. And he said, Is there any? He's looking for someone in the uh, direct bloodline there of Saul. And then you see in verse 3 at the end of the, uh, one of the last sentences, sentences in the verse, And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil and Lodabar. So Ziba says to 
David or the person who's getting, uh, trying to find this person for David, he's telling him, there, there's one, there's one person, it's actually Jonathan's son. And not only is he a son, but he's lame. That's just Bible terminology for he couldn't walk. You know, he couldn't, because he couldn't walk, he couldn't go out into the field and labor. And in Bible times, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. And we find those principles found in Proverbs. And so he couldn't go out into the field, and he couldn't get that food for him. So there's a good chance that he maybe possibly was a beggar. You know, there's a good chance that he, he wasn't, not a chance, but he definitely wasn't uh, the upper echelon in society. He was the bottom of the barrel. You know, he's probably, you hear about the, uh, the beggars in the New Testament, how the apostles were able to reach him, how Jesus was able to reach him. He was one of, most likely one of those people just in the Old Testament. And it's really interesting how this whole story uh, gets set up. And you'll see on, uh, in verse 6, it says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, uh, uh, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And here's the point here to get. And he answered, Behold thy servant. See, Mephibosheth was fearing David. Because, again, David's the king. And if you were lame, you couldn't walk in that day, you're handicapped in that uh, in that society, and you get before the king, you're probably thinking, this is it. I'm, I'm going to be gone. He's going to execute me, or I'll be accused of stealing, or, or something will happen to me, because the society at that time was looking down on those types of people. Obviously, that's not right, and we've progressed a long way, and praise God for that. But at that time, you know, he was thinking in his own self, like, oh my goodness, this is it. This is, this is going to be it for me. And he had that fear towards uh, David. And David says to him, in the uh, next verse there, in verse 7, and David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And I can only imagine for Mephibosheth, when he had heard that, that was probably such a sigh of relief. You know, he gets brought before the king, he can't walk, he's, you know, a beggar, he's going through his life, and probably, I don't think anything good's happened to him. Um, and I can point this out too. You'll read uh, earlier, and I think it's believe it's First Samuel that Mephibosheth he wasn't born lame. It was the nurse that was carrying him. He had to flee because there was a battle going on, and his uh, you know, and his family had to move quickly. And the nurse had dropped him, or whatever the case happened, and he was uh, lame not because of birth, but because of someone else's uh, mistake, because of their haste, because of what happened to him. And that just would add to me injury, um, insult to injury. Here of uh, Fanny Crosby, uh, one of the greatest uh, hymn writers that we've uh, ever heard about. She wrote a lot of great hymns we still sing today. Uh, and she was, wasn't born blind, but because of a malpractice of the doctor, uh, she became blind, and she didn't allow that to affect her. And now the Bible doesn't record uh, what happened to Mephibosheth, uh, or, how, or rather how he internalized that. But I don't know. He could have felt really bad about that. I don't know if he was happy or not, but he definitely wasn't in a good place in his life. And here comes David, right? David comes, and he looks out, and he says, is there anybody, just for my best friend, um, Jonathan, is there anybody I can show grace to? And so Ziba, this servant, says, well, you know, there's this Mephibosheth. I'm going to get tongue-tied this whole sermon on that name. It's not John, right? Uh, but Mephibosheth, there is Mephibosheth. And he goes, all right, bring him to me. And see, David didn't care that he was lame. He didn't care he wasn't, you know, another king. He didn't care he wasn't from... Um, Egypt, maybe a really wealthy country. He didn't care where he was from. All he cared about was that was Jonathan's son. That's all he cared about. And so, as we go through the sermon today and other points, that's the, the foundation, the groundwork there. Think about that. 
David came. He had, David has everything. He's the king. His word, I mean, he could get people executed. When he's the king, he was the, the ruler of the land. He was the, his law, his, what he spoke was the law. Uh, and, to have, and he went and he found Mephibosheth. And just because he was Jonathan's son, just because of that, he said, you know what? You come to my table and you can eat whenever you want. So that's the, the groundwork for today's sermon. Point number two is the, uh, the sinner. The sinner. And obviously, we're all sinners here today. Um, this is geared towards the people who are lost. And I, as I look out there, most, if maybe all, are saved and going to heaven. But I don't know who's listening on YouTube. I don't know who needs this. And a lot of times, I know in my own personal life, when someone gives the gospel out, right, during a preaching and you're saved, your mind kind of wanders and drifts out. And you're like, oh, this is great. You know, a preacher's preaching. I don't have to listen the whole time. I could think about my grocery list. You know, I could think about dinner tonight, you know, and you could think about all these things. And you can just, your mind can just wander. But I would encourage you, and God really convicted me of this, and I was praying the sermon together, I would encourage you to reflect back to the time when you got saved, to the time when God changed your life and made it new. Reflect on that during this next point if you are saved. And if you don't know 100% for sure that, on your, that you are on your way to heaven, I would uh, listen intently to this. And then after the sermon, if you have any questions, come up to me, one of the pastors, one of the men or women in the church that can uh, tell you that. But what I was saying before about David and Mephibosheth and Jonathan, God has freely offered the same proposition to every single person. And the same grace that David showed to Mephibosheth for Jonathan, God shows to every person, every human, for Jesus' sake, not for Jonathan's sake. And uh, when you put that comparison there, it just it blow, it blew my mind away when you start thinking about this. And hopefully it's blowing your mind away. Um, just the comparison there. Again, David, you have King David there, and he showed grace to Mephibosheth, someone who was lame, someone who was in the bottom of society, for Jonathan's sake. And then God did the same exact thing for us. I mean, the same exact thing. Same. It's not even the same exact. It's like a hundred times better. God had all his riches. He had everything he had. And he came down to earth. And, you know, he's sinless, lived a sinless life. Jesus came here. And he did that. He did that so that we can live in his house uh, someday in eternity. And we can go to him uh, for everything. We, we can be a part of his family. I was watching a, uh, and that's all for Jesus' sake, not for Jonathan's sake. And that's, that is just, and you start to think about the Old Testament, you read the, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus, you know, or even you know, Ezekiel, and you start reading these books over and over again, a lot of times it's dry. A lot of times it's like, man, what am I reading? But m- more often than not, if you read it with an open heart, not every time, God's going to show you something great, and there's always a great illustration of Christ in the Old Testament. There's always a great picture of what God has accomplished in the New Testament found in the Old Testament. This is one of those great uh, diamonds in the rough, I like to say. And I didn't know this. I was watching uh, a video about something or whatever, but um, this point came up in the video how, and I didn't know this, I didn't really ever think about it, when you get, when someone adopts someone else, they actually change the birth certificate. And I didn't, I had never even like, thought about that, you know, because I never had to deal with that in my own life. And they become your, your parent on your birth certificate. And that's, again, that's exactly what happens when you go to God and you humble yourself before an, an almighty God. And you look up and you go, you know, God, I'm a sinner. You know, I, I know I'm a sinner. And I know Jesus died for me. I know he was buried three days, and on the third day he rose again. 
I, I know that. And you go to God with that. Just, and, and just how you see here in uh, verse 6 at, at the end, and he answered, Behold thy servant. He came to David in such reverence and such fear and such just probably awe that he was finally in the king's presence, in the king's uh, palace. And that's how we have to come to God. We come to God broken and we come to God you know, in our sin and we think, how could a holy God love me? How could he have all these riches, everything, and everything that he has and offer it to me? Well, that's just his grace. That's who he is. You know, I don't think we'll ever on earth ever, ever completely comprehend what God has done for us or what he is doing for us. We'll never comprehend that about how good he is. And I've heard this said a lot of times when people are preaching. If God never did another good thing for me my entire life, he's already done enough when he died on the cross for us. That, that, was, that was the best thing he, ever, he could have ever done for us. And, and I'll get myself in positions that I need God to work through. And if I hadn't been, you know, me, you know, in my flesh, if I hadn't done something dumb or, or whatever, I wouldn't need God to bail me out. But you know what happens? I humble myself before an almighty God. And just like for salvation, I, I go to God and I'm like, hey, you know, I go and say, God, I really, I really need your help on this. And he has so much grace, he bails me out of situations. I probably shouldn't be in the first place because I got myself into it. And, he pro- and a lot of times I'll read in the Bible and God will say, hey, Kyle, you probably shouldn't go there or you, know, you probably shouldn't do what you're doing. It's nothing like sinful. Maybe, hey, you shouldn't buy those pair of shoes because someone's going to give them to you. You know, I'm like, ah, no, no, that's all right. You've got, and I'll use excuses like, well, God's blessed me with the money. You know, someone gave me a check for whatever, so he wants me to buy that. But deep down in my heart, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, I know God doesn't want me to go through with that. But I'll go through with it, you know. And then someone will offer me something uh, for free or something like that. And it's like, man, if I just listen to God, you know. Um, it doesn't always work like that. Not every time that happens, it doesn't mean that God you know, didn't want you to make that decision. But God has always comes through with his abundant grace. And, uh, and when we come to God's table for salvation, we're there forever. Um, the thing about sitting at God's table is that every person has to put their faith and trust uh, on Christ. And God looks at the, every single person who comes to him in the same way. You know, we all come to God. We all come to him broken. No matter if you had a rough life and you got saved later in life and you come from the wrong side of the tracks, or if you grew up in a pastor's home, you all need the same amount of grace to get saved. Just because someone looks clean on the outside doesn't mean they're a, a less of a sinner than anybody else. You know, you could be polished up. You could come to church. You can grow up your entire life uh, in, in the ministry. Let's say your parents are maybe missionaries or they're you know, Christian school teachers or pastors, whatever it may be. That same that child who gets saved by God's grace is the same amount of grace that someone, a biker, you know, example is always thrown out there, but a biker at a bar, they're saved by the same amount of grace. You know, there's no, there isn't any difference. And here's in this point too. I, this I'll give uh, credit. This wasn't my own uh, thought. Maybe you've heard this preached before out of this passage or in readings, or whatever. But I was sitting in junior church in uh, in Michigan, my other college there, and uh, this point was brought up, and it just blew my mind away. You see, Mephibosheth, he was lame. All right, and right, we're all sinners. When we come to God's table. You know, he was eating with probably other dignitaries. It probably wasn't just him and David sitting there. But when they're all sitting at the table, they couldn't tell that he couldn't walk. Isn't that amazing? And just like Christians, you know, when, when God, and he looks at us, or we look at each other, rather, you know, you can't all, always see the sin, right? 
if we were all sitting at tables in Mephibosheth, we couldn't see that he couldn't walk. You know? And that's how God's grace is. God's grace, he just covers it all. And it's, it's awesome when you come to that. And when we come to God, we're sitting at that table. We first come to God for salvation. And we're all, say we're all sitting at a table, and one of us can't walk, right? We can't say that. We can't tell that. And God looks across the table, and you know what he sees? He doesn't see an old wooden table. Instead, he sees an old wooden cross. Isn't that awesome to know that? Isn't it? It's just awesome. And that thought just blows me away that, wow, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, right? Just like when Phibosheth was sitting at his table, he couldn't tell he couldn't walk. And God looks at us. He, you know, spiritually-wise, he can't see our sin. All he sees is what Jesus did on the cross. If you come to him from salvation, if you come to him with a humble heart and say, really, you say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm a sinner, and my, anything I try and do to get to heaven, my works, anything, is going to get me straight to hell. I need God. I, I need Jesus. I need him to come into my life. I need his strength. I need everything he's already done for me. And God's already extended his hand out to us, and it's our job to extend it with faith. It's the only thing he requires is our faith, nothing else to go to him and uh, stick our hand out. And that's, that's amazing. If you've never made that decision or you need someone to show you other verses about that so you can make this, that decision, I would greatly uh, implore you, really, to get that taken care of today. And the, uh, the last point I have here is the, the saint. The saint. Uh, this one probably hit more home, uh, hit me, really. And a lot of times when I preach or, anyone pastor, or any other pastor preaches, they're really preaching at ourselves, you know, um, when I was writing this sermon, thinking about it, you know, meditating on it, God kept hitting me right between the eyes, I mean, constantly. You know, it was like, oh, my goodness, I need to work on this. You know, it's like, and I can, I'll go to the next point, and it's like, oh, how could I be falling short there, too? You know, and it's like, oh, I, you know. Then other times, it's like, wow, that's such a good truth, like the Mephibosheth at the table. It's like, wow, that's so encouraging. That's just awesome to hold on to, and that truth, it just, wow, it hits you home, and I can just, my 45-minute drives, you know, Maybe half of that could just go, wow, and just relish in that thought. Like, wow, this is so cool how this happened in the Old Testament. God saw, you know, how many hundreds of years later and how Christ, you know, Christ was going to die on the cross and he put these stories together and it's like, whoa, you know. Um, and it just it blows me away. But as Christians, we often we, we use this excuse a lot. We say, you know, my sin life is too great. You know, I can't serve God. Or I need to get this, this, and that cleaned up. You know, I, I can't. I just can't go out, you know, on the Great Commission Saturdays, or I can't volunteer for this in the church, or, or even some people, I can't bring, you know, I can't go to the potluck and fellowship because people will know how bad of a sinner, you know, I really am, or, or whatever the excuse may be. And I've used that excuse before, too. Not the, not the potluck dinner. Who doesn't like to go to a potluck, you know? Uh, but we do use that excuse. I use that excuse, you know. Oh, man, you know, I can't go out. I haven't, I can't go out door knocking, right? I haven't fully prayed or I haven't fully read my Bible. I was only able to get you know, X amount of time in, but God really requires. And it's like, I think God just requires a willing heart and a positive attitude. You know? And as Christians, we make those excuses. But the thing is that God's table is always set for us. Isn't that that's just amazing? It's, his table is always set. He always has a place setting for us. You know, once we put our trust on Christ, that place setting, it never goes away. You know, we may get angry at God, or we may get vengeful and say, God, how could you do this to me? Or, or how could you allow this to happen in my life? I thought, since I'm a Christian, nothing bad happens to me. Isn't that funny how you think when you first get saved and you slowly see that the problems you had before you got saved, they're still there, but God's able to help you through that. 
You know, and that's awesome. It's part of God's grace. We're able to grow through that. And we see those sin habits that we had, they can be done in a way with because of the power of Christ. Because we're not trying to do it in our own inner self anymore. God's grace is there and he's able to help us out. And that's, that's a great uh, blessing in the Christian life. And another thing, too, I would encourage you to have in the back of your mind, whenever I go, God, I, I can't do this. You know, God, you really want me to go and do, you know, whatever, go to Bible college. You know, you want me to, to drive, you know, go work on the, the bus route. You know, you want me to go out on the Great Commission Saturdays, right? You know, sometimes I might think internally. I don't express it. But for a second or two, I might go, man, I'm married, going to Bible college, working, have two kids. You know, like, what is this? And God, you know, says to me, what do you think the ministry is going to be like, you know? Um, right? You know? And so, but the thing that I always remember, and that God's really been convicting me of for some time now, he's been saying to me, Kyle, it doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. It matters who I am and what I'm going to do. You know? So all we, all we have to do is give God a willing heart. He'll take care of the rest. And I, I, and I use this thought soul winning, and when I go soul winning or present the gospel to different people, you know, if I don't know what the words to say, I just go, you know what? I'm going to fumble for like the first minute. I mean, it's, just, it's probably going to be really bad, whatever I say. But almost every time I say that, the, again, the first 30 seconds to a minute, I don't really know, you know really too much what to say, how to get the conversation started. Maybe it's a little awkward at times. It's like God just comes in and he takes care of it because he knows I have the gospel, I have a willing heart, and I'm trying to give it to someone else. And do you really think God's going to turn you away and say, I'm not going to use that person? You know, they stutter or they mumble when they speak. You know, Moses had that problem, you know. God can use any one of us, and he wants to use any one of us. He wants to use every Christian out there. We have the the gospel. We have the knowledge of Christ, and God wants us to use that. You know, I think back to when I was a teenager, and a lot, some occasionally, maybe more times than not, you know, I didn't want to go downstairs to the to dinner table, you know, just in spite. Didn't, didn't want to do it because I was mad for whatever silly reason it was, you know. And, I, you know, whatever happened, you know, well my, well, my mom didn't allow me to, my curfew extend an hour, half an hour longer. I'm not going down to dinner. Uh, you know, I, or I couldn't go out tonight, so I'm going to just not go down there. I'm not going to eat the food. And a lot of times we do that the same thing to God, you know. He's got a nice place setting for us. He's got all the food set. And he's got everything waiting for us there. And as Christians, we go, you know, God's going to do all those great things. Nah, I'm okay. I'm not going to do it. And now we don't do it. Maybe we won't say externally in spite um, in the same vernacular as, you know, I don't, I don't like what you're doing, uh, you know, here. You know, I'm mad and angry at you, so I'm not going to go and serve you. We probably don't say that externally, but internally we know we're saying that. You know, we know we should be a part of whatever God wants us to do. Maybe it's not anything to do with the church. Maybe God just wants you to say the name Jesus to one of your co-workers. I mean, maybe you can't even get the gospel verbally, but you have a gospel track. And all God wants you to do is just hand that person a gospel track. You know, we don't say, well, God, I'm mad at you or I'm, I'm too weak and you know, I'm not going to do it. We don't say that, but by us not handing the gospel track out, and I'm guilty of this too, um, we are saying, God, I don't want any part of that internally. It all happens internally. And a lot of times... We don't go, we don't talk to God, right? We don't read our Bible or any, none of that happens, you know? The place setting is still there. You know, it doesn't, just because we don't talk to God, just because we don't read our Bible, just because we don't do whatever, that, you know, we should do in our Christian walk, con- confess our sin or whatever it may be, doesn't mean we're not saved. Our place setting will always, always be there. Once you get saved, you get a place setting at God's table. And that place setting never gets taken away. It's always there. No matter how long you've been away from God, no matter how long you've been in your sin, if you're saved, 
you're always welcome back at God's table. And the same is, and it's the same thing for someone who isn't saved. You know, it's, it's the same exact thing. And so there's always that place setting there. You can always go back to God. And maybe you're not away in sin, but you're not serving in the capacity that God wants you to serve in. His table is always open. You don't have to be the perfect Christian to start serving him. No one is. You know, we're probably a lot more sinful than, than we, anyone thinks we are. We put a nice suit on. We come to church. People see us walk up, right, give our tithe or however you do it, and we look good on the outside. But, you know, a lot of times we may not be all wicked as people in the world. We all have our struggles, Right? We all have those, those besetting sins that we can't get away from. We all have those, those little nicks and nags during the week that we just can't get out of our lives or get out of our system. And but God's grace is greater than that. And he still wants to use you. You need to confess that to God. Try the best you can to turn your mind away from that and go out there and serve him. You don't need to be a perfect Christian to serve God. And you just need a willing heart. It's all you need. And so the last point here I have for you is that God may serve you food that you don't like at times, right? But you're still fed. There have been times in my Christian life where God has served some trials, some tribulations that I don't like, you know? But here's the thing. I have a daughter. She loves tomatoes. I I cannot stand them at all. Um, but But she eats tomatoes, and she eats peas and corn. And in peas and corn, there's like zero nutrition, okay? So we're trying to, you know, feed her spinach and all these other foods that make her grow better, like carrots and broccoli. She doesn't like them too much. But you know what? As Christians, we don't like trials. We don't like tribulations. But that's the stuff that's going to make you grow. Isn't that amazing? And God, you know, you may not want the food God's serving you from time to time, but that's what's going to make you grow as a Christian. You know, and I tell people, yes, you know, trials and tribulations are going to happen in your life, but you can never see or need a miracle from God if, you don't go, if God doesn't bring you through that valley. Because if things are always going good, you wouldn't need God. And you wouldn't be able to see him work. You wouldn't be able to see him come through for you if everything's always going good for you. And so God may serve you at times uh, food that you don't like. That's going to make you grow as a Christian. Because he knows what he's doing, right? Wouldn't we all agree with that? That God knows what he's doing. Uh, and he, and he, he loves us so much. And I'll, in, the, in verse 10 there, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 10, the Bible says this, Thou therefore, and thy sons and thy servants, shall till the land for him, talking about Mephibosheth, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread all the way at my table. And that comparison there is, how are people going to hear the gospel if we don't give it to them? You see, that Mephibosheth, he couldn't go out there and labor for himself. Just like the lost, they can't labor for themselves to get saved. We have to do the laboring. We have to do the soul winning. You have to do the witnessing so they can get saved. Once we're sitting at God's table, he goes, well, now you have to start preparing food for other people so they can come to my table as well, so they can smell the aroma through the open window and live the Christian life and come and get saved. You know, and God, uh, he sees that. And that's the, the Christian's call there. And so just in closing, I would encourage you, if you're not saved, if you do not know 100% sure, or for sure you're going to heaven, you should get that settled. Talk to someone. Google the Romans road, you know. Help, go to someone that is a Christian that can give that to you. And for most of us here, right, we are Christians. We do know where we're going, but we're not serving the capacity that we should be. God's table is always open. It's, your place setting is always there. And all God's saying to you is just come and dine. Come and dine. 